The following audio content is a talk from Tuesday Evening Worship, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash young adults. We are in a series uh, on the life of David calling Running at Giants. And we uh, began in the first week by looking at Psalm 18, which is this big summary of David's life. And one of the key verses that we brought out of that was this verse where David says, God, with your help, I can run at a troop. I can leap over a wall. And there's this wonderful sense about David. He did not live a perfect life by any means. He lived, in, if anything, a messy life. But he did one thing. He lived it boldly. He lived it tenaciously. And he sought after the heart of God with everything that he had. And because of that, David is a refreshing example of convergence. He's a refreshing example of heaven and earth coming together. And that when that happens, that is when we are most authentically human. We can't over-spiritualize stuff. Man, that gets us in trouble. We also don't just run after every whim and desire. That gets us in trouble. And yet there is this wonderful meeting when heaven and earth come together. As we see in the person of Jesus Christ, we see what it means to be authentically human. And David is an imperfect but an inspiring example of that. Well, last week we continued on. We looked at the call of David as he was uh, called to replace Saul as king. And we looked at him as the most unlikely candidate. I mean, if I, I don't really want to do this, but let's all go back to that junior high experience, that maybe that middle, that uh, elementary experience, at least uh, for me, I don't know, maybe they don't do this anymore to be nice to kids, where they pick teams, right? Two captains, and you pick teams and you're like, just let me be the first or second, please. But you're always, there's always someone that's going to get picked last. And it's just this excruciating experience. And that's what happens to David. He knows what it's like to be picked last. They go through everyone. In fact, he's not even invited on the field, right? They have to go get him because they kind of, they kept them in the back lot. And David, David isn't even there to get picked. He is picked last as far as everyone else is concerned. And yet he is God's choice because David has a heart. Uh, after God. And, and the thing about that, the thing about God's upside down choices, we talked about it, 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 it excites us because it opens up new possibilities for some of us who never thought that there was really much of a hope or a future for us. Maybe we come from a place where we were told that we are never going to amount, amount to much. And maybe we're not really even known. David isn't even referred to by name. Some of us, that frightens us because the things that we've been running after our whole lives that we thought were important, which turns out are not the things that are important. And for some of us, that infuriates us because we think that we should be the first in line. And when we find out that we're not, and we find out perhaps there is something that goes beyond the titles and the good looks and the accomplishments and the stuff that we think is so important, when we realize that that is not ultimately what God looks at, what is most important that infuriates us. It doesn't matter. When we bump into God, something happens. That's what we talked about in that first week. That's the great, that's the idea behind convergence that when we, when heaven and earth combine, when there is that convergence, God's grace and our brokenness, our calling, our gifts and God's kingdom purposes happens. There is something dynamic, creative and powerful that happens. And that happens no matter what. And it's sometimes it's not predictable and sometimes it's not the way we like, but it's exciting. Well, tonight we're going to continue on and we're going to, we're going to delve into, um, continue right on the story. And, 
as we see uh, what happens next in the life of David. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 14. You can read up on the screen as well. But again, I encourage you to bring your Bible so that you can uh, uh, know where stuff is and have an opportunity to write in them and everything else. So read along with me, beginning in verse 14. Now, the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit came from the, an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit comes from God comes upon you and you will feel better. So Saul said to the attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is is a fine-looking man. The Lord is with him. Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David said to, David came to Saul and entered his, his service. Saul liked him very much and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service for I am pleased with him. Whenever the spirit of God come, came upon Saul, David would uh, take his harp and play. The relief would come to Saul. Then relief would come to Saul and he would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. Let me pray this real quick. Lord, we are thankful for your word that um, is challenging and sometimes confusing and uh, asks hard questions of us. Lord, I pray that it would ask the right questions of us tonight. We pray that the spirit that inspired that same word, Lord, would speak into our hearts tonight. Lord, open up this story that we would be able to find ourselves in it. Pray this in your name. Amen. When we look at a story like this, it's got a couple interesting things. And what I want us to do is essentially is to kind of hang out in the story and to notice some things. But for many of us, we are not called to be kings. I mean, if you are, I would love to meet you. If you have some kingdom or uh, some kingdom back at home that you're hiding out from. But many of us are not called to be kings. But the thing that we can all identify with David, though, is that we do know what it is like to live in between. And what do I mean by that? To live in between a great future, a a vision that we have, a great hope that we all long for, and the mess that we live in now. We live in that in-between space. Now, take us again back to junior high, 10 years old. I was given an assignment, maybe you guys were too, to to write out a little essay. Where are you going to be in 10? What is your life going to look like in 15 years? Anybody else do this? I won't make you confess about what's in there. Okay? It's torturous. You don't, you don't know. You're 10. I don't know. I don't even know if I like girls yet. Okay. But 10 years old, you're trying to envision what that's going to be. Well, for me, what I envisioned, I thought, Hey, this is just an experiment. We're dreaming. So I might as well go kind of big. So here goes at 25. This is what my life is going to look like. I'm going to be married. And by that time, I'll have a couple of strapping boys. I'm doing all right with that, but I'm married. I'm going to have a couple of strapping boys. Uh, I'm also going to have my business degree and I'm going to be really successful in business. So successful that I will have started a number of resorts, one up in Aspen and, and one in the Alps and then, you know, one at a number of very tropical locations. So all by 25, right? So ambitious. I mean, I'm going for it. But then I'm also thinking, you know, 
I, I'm not just about the money, though. I'm a nice guy. So I'm going to have these ex- exclusive resorts, but they're going to be almost free. Because I just want everyone to come, right? You just got to throw everything in there. I'm just going for it. Well, where do you think I was at 25? At 25, my uh, friend that I had known for a lot of years described me as the oldest kid still going to camp. Okay? I had just come off the worst breakup of my life. Okay? Coming, I, I went for, I gave it all out and I had this girl say, yes, and then the next morning go, no. Went up there and I stayed with her family. It was friends of family. Come across the border and not only am I having a bad day because I just got, I just got my heart totally broken. Okay, I'm totally single. But then I go and for some reason, I just, I, there's something vicious about border patrol guards. They decide to do everything but strip search me. Okay, and from then on, my car was flagged at the Canadian border. Right? I just was having the worst time. I didn't have a job. I was, st- I was still, got- and then I was, I was heading back to camp and it was like, I am nowhere near any of this. Well, what about you? What is what is it like to be in between that place where what of what our degree promises and the paycheck that we're getting in between that place where the influence and the good that we want to do and then the place where we feel like man I'm just pushing paper that in between place where we're longing to have a companion we're longing to get out of a our single estate, get, longing to get out of that particular relational place that we're in and just feeling like I'm just stuck. I long for this. Reality is very different. What about this? What about you actually got that relationship? You actually got that marriage and you're longing for that perfect marriage that you were hoping for in which I, I'm mostly speaking to guys, but I, you know, everybody's included in this. You're having sex every single day and it is just awesome. And then you realize actually this marriage seems like a disaster to me. You're in between. What about that in between place where you accepted that call to follow Christ and there was a lot of excitement that came with it and then suddenly it seems like it all starts crashing in. You have a vision for what it could be. The vision for a renewed creation. The revision for, or a vision when everything, when God puts everything to rights and yet everything seems confusing. Everything seems like it doesn't work out. It seems like you're playing by debt, by doubt more than you are by faith. Well, this is a passage that helps us to move through the mess. So as we jump in, what I want us to do is notice three different things. Okay, three different things that one that we just have to ask a question about and then a couple things that we notice about David. So the first thing is this. If you're following along, we read right at the beginning that now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So his attendants go about trying to, to fix this. They recognize that there is something wrong and they say, you know what helps with this is, is heart music. Well, it's a hard question for us, isn't that? That's a hard thing to read, especially from the vantage point of where we're at. What do you mean a spirit, the spirit of the Lord departed and then an evil spirit from, from the Lord was tormenting him? What, what is going on there? There's a couple of things that that are happening in this that I, I want us to address because there are these difficult passages that pop up all the time in Scripture. Well, the first thing is this, is that what is essentially happening is there is a transition that is being marked. And the writer wants us to understand clearly that leadership has uh, moved on, that the Spirit came with power on David, and almost instantly, at least in the next paragraph, we read that that, that same Spirit that came on Saul for the very purpose of leading 
the people of God, Israel, as their king, that spirit that came on for that very purpose, left because Saul had again and again turned the other way. So part of it is we're understanding this is a transition of leadership. The second thing is we have to understand that the Old Testament writers are primarily concerned with affirming kind of ultimate concerns that God is sovereign over everything. He is in charge over everything. And so if God is in charge over everything, he has to allow things to happen or he has to send things to happen. There's lots of stuff that could happen down below, but ultimately, Old Testament writers again and again are going to affirm God is sovereign over everything. Now here's the deal. I know this brings up lots of questions and particularly brings up the question of the problem of evil. What do we do with evil? What do we do with the fact that there seems to be evil in this world and yet there's a good God? Well, there's, there's freedom and there's the interaction of freedom and there's the interaction of, of a loving God who allows that freedom and wants us to love. There's lots of stuff. I can't go into that tonight. But what I want you, encourage you to do is that if you want to go in, if you want to hear more about that, we have a couple question and answer, um, question and answer, um, nights with Earl that you can find on our archives. So if you want to write this down, 6308, that was last June and 31307, March, 13th of 07, you can go into our archives and here. Earl will take that on head on, okay, if you want to explore that more. The next thing we got to understand about this is that when we look at Old Testament versus New Testament and the work of the Spirit, in the Old Testament, the Spirit came on particular people for particular times for particular things. It came on for empowerment. It came on to accomplish a particular task, and then it left. Things pivot. Things totally change in the New Testament in which suddenly, when the, because of the person and the work of Christ, the Spirit, which we had been prophesied it, that would come on just on, on people for a particular time, is now going to get poured out on everybody and now is a seal on everybody. That Spirit is in everyone and we, beca- we don't have to worry about the Spirit being taken from us. We read that, that in Ephesians 4.30 that the Spirit is, we are sealed with the Spirit until the day of redemption. It is our guarantee that we are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is not in a particular building. It is in all of His followers. The last thing is that this is not the Spirit of the Lord, but it is some other Spirit. Well, we can look at something like this. Is it something like uh, Psalm 50, uh, 51.11, where there's... Uh, uh, a particular um, ver- set of verses that we sing a song out of. You probably have heard this before if you've been in Christian circles at all. It says, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Now, we have to understand this is written before Christ comes, before the Spirit is poured out on everybody at Pentecost all of the believers at Pentecost. Because in Christ, we do not ever have to ask. This is a, the Psalms are something that we should identify with praying, but we have to understand what's going on in salvation history. We don't ever have to ask for the Spirit to be taken from us. We don't have to beg God, ask God to be, that we wouldn't be thrown away. Because in Christ, we are called decisively to God. It is not about what you do, it is about what Christ did for you. And so, if there's ever a fear, I want to, I just want us to think, we can, sometimes we sing that, and that's okay, but we have to understand what is going on there. You don't have to worry about being, about having the Spirit taken from you. In Christ, you are sealed. 
You are called, not because of what you do, but because of what Christ does for you. But here's the deal. We can grieve the Spirit. In fact, that that passage in Ephesians begins with this. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit for whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. While the Spirit might not be taken from us, we can grieve it, which is in some ways... Um, pretty amazing thing to realize that we can have the Spirit of God within us and by our very actions, we can actually grieve the Spirit. We can quench the Spirit. We can decide to not listen. We can decide in rebellion to, to kind of run down a path towards destruction. doesn't mean the Spirit is going to leave us, but it does mean that we're not going to experience the fullness of what God would have for us when we walk in His way. Well, so now what do we do with this? Well, part of what we need to do is to, is to hold some things in balance and either not say this is totally something external or this is just Paul was depressed or Saul was depressed. But to realize that there is this, this interesting interaction that as Saul set himself again and again to not obey what God had commanded him to do. Again and again, he set himself on going down another way. Again and again, his worship was anything but authentic but simply kind of token, simply there to facilitate his own personal aspirations. Again and again, Saul sets his direction in the opposite of what God has asked him to do. And so while we don't have ultimate authority, while while we don't have to worry about the Spirit being taken from us, God is also not going to shield us from the consequences of sin when we persist down a rebellious road of professional and self-centered idolatry. So there's this interesting, mysterious interaction that we have in which we have, we can read, we can pick up for this, this kind of what's something of what's going on when Jesus talks about things like money. Money fundamentally isn't bad. Power, position is not necessarily bad. And yet Jesus says, don't let money become a God. You cannot you cannot love both mammon and God. Mammon is there is used to, to, to indicate that there's a, a power when we pursue something, when we put something on the throne, when we give something kind of ultimate authority, when we put our rest, when we put our trust, when we anchor ourselves in something beyond God, something beyond the loving Father who has called us. When we do that, we end up getting ourselves in trouble, and that's what what Paul does is that he begins to reap the benefits of placing him himself on the throne and his professional career on the throne. Here's what, here's what happens. And here's what's amazing because it, something like work can be just as addicting as anything else. It can be just as much of, a, of an idol as money. I mean, we hear again and again, if, you know, if we only have enough money, if we only have our 401k set up, then we'll be secure. What Jesus talks about right afterwards is don't be anxious about anything. Here's the deal. Know that there is a loving God. You pursue money. You're just going to get anxious. Now, it doesn't mean that we are irresponsible with our money, but you have to understand that when we pursue that kind of stuff, it's not going to give us ultimately what we want. And what happens with Saul is he pursues again and again this position that he wants to hold. When he pursues himself, when he sets when he sets up an altar or a, a monument to his greatness instead of what God has done in and through him, he is going to end up, especially from this point, going on a downward spiral. He's getting anything but confidence and security. He becomes jealous. He becomes afraid. 
he becomes filled with hate. And he ends up becoming so consumed with the task of trying to protect his position and his authority and his kingship that instead of going at the task that is right before him, that of leading the people, that of being the king that leads him into victory, that, that points him towards God, he ends up spending all of his time trying to stamp out David, trying to make sure that there is nobody that could possibly threaten his throne when David would die for him. It's amazing. He spends all of his effort not doing the very thing that he is called to do, not the thing that would actually make him into a great king, but he ends up just running after David. Idolatry does this. When we run after those things that promise us, things like strength, when we run after beauty, power, acceptance, we end up getting the very things that we didn't want. Weakness, ugliness, addiction, rejection. The prophets in Isaiah would say this, that that you are worshiping blocks of wood. And when you worship things like blocks of wood that you make out of your own hands, you become like them. And in that, you become less human. You become a parody of your real self. You lose the vision to be able to see what is important. You lose the ears to be able to hear what is actually going on. You become deaf and mute, just like the things that you are chasing after. Well, it's interesting that Saul would spend so much of his time being consumed with the problems that are out there. The reasons, the threats to his, the, re, the threats and the, the problems that are, that are keeping him from being king instead of just going about being king. And, and I guess the question that I, I would ask for us tonight are, are what are those things that you just, that seems so addictive to you that you just cannot go without. Because that's the way it works with idolatry. When we run after things, when we run after things, we, we hope that they will give us that sense of security. We hope that we'll become beautiful enough to somehow or good looking enough or smart enough or, or have enough money to, to get that thing that we want so bad, but, and then we never get it. And so we keep running more and more and more. We keep chasing it further and further and further because We never get what we want. And so it becomes addictive. Or we end up spending all of our time pissing and moaning about the fact of why we haven't been able to do what we've been called to do. Well, there's this person. Well, I got wronged here. Well, this happened. Well, that happened. And we end up wasting our time. You guys, I've done it. I've caught myself in those times where I go, I instead of being the person that God has called me to be, instead of running after the thing that he has placed in front of me, I've spent all my time just griping about why I can't go ahead with what I want to do. Perhaps there's some idolatry in there. Perhaps there's some way in which we're being led away from being authentically human into being a parody. Well, the second observation is this is that as David goes along, and you can imagine David is, first of all, last week we were talking about how he was, he was called out. You know, he wasn't even, he wasn't even there when the ceremony was happening. He was out with the sheep, and so he came in probably stinking. Now he's probably sitting, he's out, we know he's out with the, she, the sheep again. He comes in, and suddenly there's a, a messenger from Saul, and he's probably trying to figure out what exactly has been going on with all this, and, and, God must be doing something, and I don't know what it's going to look like. And suddenly there's a messenger from Saul, and you can only imagine him being just frightened. 
Because he's going, man, how did he know? And maybe he's calling me in to stamp me out. What is going on? But the second thing we, we can ask is, what has David been up to? What has he been doing as he's been essentially in obscurity? Well, he's been hanging out with the sheep. But he's been, he's been doing more than that. He's been setting himself. He's been building his resume in a sense. He's been building himself a reputation. And this is, this is what we read as, as we are looking, as one of the servants say, you know what really helps with this kind of, kind of malady, Saul, is we need to get you a harpist. We need to get you a musician. Right? Get the right kind of music. I mean, we all know that, right? Right kind of music sets the mood in lots of different ways. We're gonna, that's a tangent. Right, but music—I mean, music can res- totally restore our soul. It, if it if it happens now, it certainly happened then. And so they they call, uh, they try to figure out, okay, where are we going to get a musician from? And somebody says, wait, I know this guy. I know this guy. I've seen him. He's a son of Jesse. He plays the harp. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man. And the Lord is with him. And so Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me that kid that's sitting out with the sheep. I need him. He is a man who plays the harp. He is a man of valor. He is handsome and well-spoken. And the Lord is with him. Well, what is David about? David has been about the things that he can control. And this is what David has been in the midst of the mess, in the in-between times, in between the sense of this call, this call to be king, that man, man, the call to be president. I mean, you can't imagine it. And where he's at now, which is at the bottom of the ladder, he's been about a few things. He's been about developing creativity. And I would ask that for us. What are the things, let me ask this of you. I think these are questions for us. What are the things that we can be about in the in-between time? As we begin to, to prepare for what's next, we don't let go of dreams, but we also don't sit and sulk. We also don't worry about what other people are doing. We don't, we also don't run around trying to make sure that nobody is going to take what we think is ours. What has David been doing? He's been creative. What, how can you develop that sense of creativity? David has learned to play the harp. There's a sense of, of he's getting after something that he loves. He's developing something. He's developing the things that God has given him. God has gifted him to be a musician, and so he's going after it, and he's developing that. Developing that to such an extent that he actually has a reputation for it. Question is, what can you develop now? How can you begin to continue to develop who you are in Christ now instead of sort of sitting and, and waiting for that time when one day that thing will happen that you want, that you desire, that you're hoping to live into? How can you get out there and serve now? What can you do now to develop that? He's also a man of courage. He has that sense that instead of running from difficulty, he faces challenges head on. Is that you? Are you a man or a woman of courage? Is that what, what people would say about you? Is that what your friends would say about you? David has a reputation for this. Now that got worked out for him as being a warrior. But he is a man of, of courage. He takes things head on. Are you, are you the person that is known, not for being blunt, not for being necessarily like you're bowling people over, but you take things head on, or are you always running from difficulty, hoping that one day everything kind of will get worked out for you and, and it'll be easy? Or are you someone who takes stuff head on, you own your mistakes, you own what are the next steps, 
for your future and you begin to move towards it. You stand up for what is right, for the tr- for when things are false, you stand up for the truth. When there is injustice, you stand up for what is right. Now, that doesn't mean you're, you have to be marching on Washington to stand up for injustice, right? We all see that. When we're in the situations that you were in, are you a person who is known for having courage, for standing for what is right, even when it's difficult? Are you a person of discernment? David was known of having a, of a discerning speech. Are you growing in the wisdom that comes from soaking in the Word? Are you learning how to detect right from wrong? How to be able to hear the Spirit's voice? How to move beyond simply being driven by desires or the, the latest fad or, or, or the particular crisis that is before you? Are you learning what it means to be a wise man, a wise woman? Someone who is able to discern what is going on. And lastly... What would people say about you? Would they say that the Lord is with you? Are you someone who is developing right now a heart for God? The irony is that as Saul is known as someone who, for whom the Spirit has left, David is known as someone for whom God is with him. It's not that David necessarily deserves it. I mean, it's not a tit-for-tat thing. And yet David is someone is known as someone who passionately pursues God. Is that you? Would your friends say that about you? I mean, if they're honest and most friends, you know, if you ever ask them and you can never ask them, but would they, because they'll tell you the opposite. Um, at least my friends would. But think about that. I mean, what what would people say about you? Is there a sense that you are someone who's known for having a heart for God? Are you someone who is known for, for pursuing creativity and how you can, how you can, in a sense, Eugene Peterson will talk about this later, how you can bring peace into chaos. And that's what the heart music really did. Do you bring peace into, into chaos? Are you known as being courageous? Are you known as being discerning? Are you known as someone who has a heart for God? Is that you? That's the work that we can go about in the in-between times that prepare us for that moment when someone says, we need a particular thing. And there is somebody that you may not not even know, but has seen you and said, you know what? I know just the right person. They may not have, have the position or the title, but man, they have all the qualifications. Well, last thing to notice is that David has a redemptive influence. That David enters in and, and we read we read this that that Saul when he entered into Saul when he entered into Saul's service Saul liked him very much and David became one of his armor bearers then Saul sent word to Jesse David's father and said allow David to remain in me because I am pleased with him and then whenever the spirit of God came upon him David would take his harp and play and relief would come to Saul Eugene Peterson says it this way that David's first job as king was making music. He was attempting to reestablish the divine order in Saul's disordered mind and emotions. Establishing order in the midst of chaos is basic to king work. And that's where we can identify with David. David does not enter as an upstart, 
Someone who says, I deserve the throne, you don't, but he enters as a servant. Someone who brings relief and peace in the midst of chaos. And so, what is the effect of your presence where you work? What are you bringing to your community, to your neighborhood, to your co-workers? Especially to those of you, those of folks around you who might be tormented. And you can just tell, for whatever reason, they are going through it. There is no peace in them. What are you bringing into that situation? What are you doing on the in-between times? Are you known as one who serves? Are you known as one who brings peace? Well, the in-between times are those times for us to get after it. And this is this is what this passage teaches us. It teaches us this, to recognize what you can't can, can and can't control. There is a lot of things that we want, that we desire, and rightfully so. Man, for some of us, it's a spouse. You cannot make somebody love you. Recognize what you can and can't control. And then get after that. One of, that's probably one of the biggest things. Recognize you can't you can't control the way somebody else is going to react to you. If somebody's going to get mad at you, if someone's going to be against you, you can't control that. But you can control wh- what how you respond to it. Don't waste your time worrying about other people. Get after the things that you can control. Take the steps for those things, just like what we talked about, to develop into the person that God is calling you to be. This is how, for me, how I went about it when I was in the midst, especially in one of, in some of those times that are some of the darkest times. Honestly, you guys, I hung out in the Psalms. How did I draw close to God? How did I try to continue to, to develop kind of a discerning spirit? How did I just actually keep hope to keep going each day? I hung out in the Psalms. Psalm 139, which I think I've mentioned before, is one of those Psalms, and, and you need to hang out in it. It is a great psalm. I, I came upon Psalm 139 because I just was reading through the psalms. The psalms are those songs that were written by people who were stuck in the junk. Who were getting just life kicked out of them. And they cry out to God and they try to make sense of a, of a world that doesn't make sense. That's what the psalms are about. <coughs> well, psalm 139 says this, and it often just would claim this as I would begin a day and pray. Psalm 139 says this, You know me. You know every thought before I even think it. And so I don't have to pretend. I'm going to just tell you exactly the what what I think. I'm not going to hide from you. If I have doubts, if I'm mad, I'm just going to tell you. You already know it. Psalm 139 goes on and says this, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And so, God, I'm going to hold on to that, that I am not a mistake, but instead I am your good workman workmanship. I am your great creative effort, and I'm going to hold on to that, that there are good things in me, despite the things that are telling me that I'm worthless, that I'm not good enough, whatever that looks like. I'm going to hold on to that with everything I have. I'm going to remember, as your spirit says, there is, as your word says, that there is no place that your spirit is not always there. I can't flee anywhere where your spirit is not. And especially when you jump forward into the New Testament, we realize that Christ, by His Holy Spirit, is residing within us. There is no place that is so dark. There is no place that is so dark that you can run where Jesus is not sitting there waiting for you. 
There are times where I've had to, to remember that. When I feel like everything is crashing in, Jesus has been sitting right there with me. There is no place that I can run from your spirit. And then finally, I'm not always going your way, God. And so if there is any, search me and know me. If there is any offensive way in me, point it out. I want to know it. And lead me in the way that is everlasting. Guide me out of this. It's psalms like that that I've clung onto in those times, those in-between times when everything seems to be going wrong, when I am about as far as I can possibly imagine from the vision that I had hoped for. I hang on to the promises of God that you will complete in me what you have begun, that, that this is about your call in my life and your call to make me fruitful. You guys, this is about going at the things in, where you are planted right now to do excellently the thing that you have right in front of you right now, to bring peace to that place, to bring order to the chaos in that place. There are moments, I think I've told you this, where I've walked in jobs that I just could not stand. But it's in those jobs that I've walked into those things saying, okay, I can't stand this. I want out of this job as soon as I can. But I'm going to do the best job I possibly can here. And more than that, I'm going to pray that I be your minister in this place. Lord, make me your minister in this place. How is it that I can, how is it that I can serve, that I can love the people around you in this place for this time? You can do that moving furniture. You can do that making coffee. You can do that sitting in an office building. You can do that make, taking insurance calls. I mean, think about this. I talked to a, a woman at a wedding I did this, this weekend and she, you know, she's beginning her career and she basically takes insurance calls, claims when things go wrong. I mean, can you think of, a, in some ways, a, a more sacred moment than that? When somebody calls you, something horrible has happened in their life. I mean, it's the same way in moving. You step into one of the most vulnerable times in someone's life when they move. I mean, there's all kinds of stats to prove that. It is one of the most stressful things you can do in your life is move. And as a mover, as a grunt, as an 800-pound gorilla, which they always looked at me and said, where are the 800-pound gorillas? Which I loved. Because I'm about, you know, a buck 25. Anyways, um, there's a time for you to be able to be a minister in, in that place. As this woman went on to tell me, you know, there are times when she calls up, and there's just horrible stuff that people have, have gone through. I have been in horrible accidents in which there is just bad things that happened. And there is nothing better than having an insurance agent of all people be able to walk me through it and bless me in the midst of that. You can do that. You guys, you can do this. You can go after this stuff anywhere. Because when you do, hold on, I mean, hold on to your dreams. You don't have to settle for where you're at now. But when you take what is right before you head on, go after the things that you can go after, you are walking onto holy ground. It is in that place, not in retreats, not in necessarily even church, in which God will do his most important work in your life. Amen. Lord, we, um, Lord, this is a passage that is full of questions more than anything for us. That asks us what we are about in the in-between times, Lord, and so many of us are, are in 
places that we would rather not be. We hope for more. We want to be more. We want to do more. We want to be in a different relational place. We want to be in a relationship. We want to be in a better relationship. And yet, Lord, show us what it means to take that head on, to do what we can in this place. So, Lord, in the next moments as we are quiet, we would ask that, I would ask that you would, Lord, speak to our hearts. Ask the right questions of us from this passage. Lord, search us and know us and lead us in the way everlasting.